Hello and welcome to Becoming the Phoenix. I'm Heather and throughout this series, I will be sharing my story of rediscovering life after facing death. I am a survivor of domestic violence, of arsenic poisoning, and of the mental and physical battles that followed. For nearly a decade, I did everything I could to try and forget what happened to me. But I finally feel empowered to tell my story in an effort to help others. In this podcast, I will cover topics like domestic violence and the science behind trauma, as well as provide helpful resources and alternative ways to treat mental health. Join me to find out how I finally rose from the ashes of my painful past. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Becoming the Phoenix. I just wanted to start off by saying thank you so much to everyone who reached out to me after listening to my first episode. Your kind words and support really mean the world to me. If you haven't heard it yet, be sure to check out the episode called Memoirs of a Survivor. So I know it's been a long time since I posted the last episode. I had a lot of things happen in my personal life. Most exciting would be Skylar and I got engaged. So that's been a whirlwind of excitement and has taken a little bit of my time, but I am back. So a while back, I posted a poll asking you guys what topic you'd like me to cover next. Most people said that they wanted more information on my medical history and the symptoms I experienced throughout my battle with arsenic poisoning. So that's what we're going to do today. If you listened to my backstory episode, you already know a little bit about the physical issues that have plagued me for the last nine years. If you haven't listened yet, no worries because today I'm going to go more in depth on the symptoms, diagnoses, and treatments that became such a massive part of my life as a result of arsenic poisoning. Please note, this episode will contain depictions of domestic abuse. The very first physical issue I faced after meeting Max started just two months into our relationship. My doctor told me it was a UTI. I took his word for it and completed the antibiotics that were prescribed to me. But the symptoms did not go away and it began happening more frequently. Even though I was coming in with symptoms multiple times a month, I was given the treatment for a UTI every time. Now there is a disorder where people get recurring UTIs, but in those cases they typically get UTIs maybe three, five times a year. I was having them twice a month, yet my doctor repeatedly overlooked it and simply handed me antibiotics every time. The symptoms I experienced are very similar to UTIs, but with treatment, they didn't go away, so I knew something else must be going on. On an almost daily basis, I started having intense pain and pressure in my lower abdomen and pelvis. It felt like all of my organs were cramping at the same time. It constantly felt like I had to go pee, even when my bladder was empty. And if I could actually go, it was always a tiny amount, and it hurt so much. I'm talking that burning pain of a UTI, but times 10,000. On bad days, I would be in the bathroom for hours at a time, because it felt like I would pee my pants if I got up, even though I knew I had an empty bladder. I'd sit there so long, my legs and feet would go numb. Now, if I was at school or work, I obviously couldn't just disappear for hours, so I'd have to get up and go to the bathroom over and over and over, sometimes maybe 30, 40 times a day. It was incredibly painful and frustrating, but as you can imagine, it was also super disruptive. I had no control over when a flare-up would hit, and sometimes it came at the worst time. One year, my ex and I went to my family's cabin for the 4th of July. We arrived in the afternoon and had plans laid out for the rest of the evening. Unfortunately, shortly after we got to the cabin, I started having a flare-up and was in so much pain, one of the worst ones I'd ever had. Instead of trying to comfort me in any way, Max stood over me in the bathroom screaming, Way to ruin my night. Thanks for messing everything up as always. Shut up and quit crying. That event is still so vivid in my mind. 
I couldn't believe that he was actually blaming me like I chose to be in agony 24-7 and then also be screamed at for it. I later found out that the supposed UTIs were actually flares of interstitial cystitis. Interstitial cystitis, or IC, is a rare and incurable disease that affects the lining and nerves of the bladder. So, in a healthy bladder, it expands until it's full and then signals your brain that it's time to go, which is communicated through pelvic nerves. With interstitial cystitis, the signals get mixed up and you feel the need to go more often and for much smaller volumes. Since there's no cure, treatment is mainly about symptom management. I changed my diet to see if avoiding certain foods would help. It didn't. I was prescribed multiple different medications to help with the flares. None of them worked. After months of trial and only error, my doctor finally suggested a DMSO installation. Doctors usually use this treatment method as a last resort because it's invasive and it causes symptoms to initially worsen. DMSO, or dimethyl sulfoxide, is inserted into the bladder through a catheter to help fight inflammation and block pain. They fill your bladder to its max capacity so that all parts of the lining can be coated in the dimethyl sulfoxide. And when they warned me that my symptoms would worsen at first, they were not fucking around. Like, no joke, the absolute worst pain I have ever experienced, period. And in order for the drug to take full effect, it has to stay in your bladder for as long as possible. So I had to hold my completely full bladder with the worst pain of my life for nearly two and a half hours. Thankfully, it really helped, and I've been in remission for the most part since then, but it went untreated for years. I do still occasionally have flare-ups, but I know my body really well at this point, and I have medication that I can take if I feel like one is coming on, and it usually helps. Because IC is still so understudied, there's no literature on if arsenic causes IC, but the fact that it happened just two months after meeting Max makes it a little hard to believe that it's just a coincidence. Now that you all know details about my bladder, let's move on to another fun topic, GI issues. So while all of that was going on, I also started losing weight and feeling really sick, like all of the time. I was constantly nauseous and threw up every time I ate, regardless of what it was. I would wake up some mornings with my stomach so swollen that I looked eight months pregnant, even if I had barely eaten the day before. It got to a point where I was scared to eat or drink anything because I knew I would get sick. Only three months after my bladder issues started, I was diagnosed with gallbladder disease. I was told that my gallbladder was functioning at about 20% and I needed surgery to have it removed quickly. So in February of 2013, I had a cholecystectomy or gallbladder removal. Max offered to help take care of me so he stayed at my apartment to manage my medications and prepare me food while I recovered. That turned into him living with me full time, so he was always there to be my caretaker when I got sick. Initially after recovering from surgery, I felt so much better. The constant nausea and vomiting had subsided and I felt like a new woman for a couple months. Just as soon as I started feeling good again, a new wave of symptoms hit me and I felt like I was back at square one. I started throwing up again and feeling like I couldn't eat anything, not only because I was so nauseous all the time, but every time I would eat even a tiny amount of food, I would end up feeling full for such a long time. I'm talking I could eat a cup of yogurt on Monday morning and not feel hunger until Friday night. And even when I was hungry, I could barely eat anything. One of my many ER trips resulted in me being admitted to the hospital because I was so malnourished. The doctors ran a bunch of tests on me, from a brain scan looking for tumors, to every blood test and MRI in the book. After a week in the hospital, a diagnosis of gastroparesis was added to my medical history. Gastroparesis, another disease with no known cure, interferes with digestion and causes nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. In normal digestion, strong muscular contractions push food through your digestive tract. 
but with gastroparesis, your stomach muscles are weakened or, in my case, paralyzed. Any food I ate wasn't being digested, so it just sat in my stomach, and that's why I constantly felt full. The doctors also informed me that part of the reason I was so sick was that the food was sitting so long in my stomach that it would begin to ferment. I've now been dealing with gastroparesis for the last eight years. The flare-ups have drastically decreased, but it is something that I will live with for the rest of my life. I was additionally diagnosed with diverticulitis through later abdominal CTs. Diverticulitis is an inflammation or infection of bulging pouches that form in your digestive tract. Told you GI stuff was fun. On top of all the symptoms from IC, gastroparesis, and diverticulitis, I was also dealing with more common complaints, things like insomnia and headaches. But everything was to the extreme. I wasn't just having a hard time sleeping, I would be awake for days at a time. I didn't just have headaches, I had migraines every day. I wasn't just vomiting on occasion, I was throwing up everything I ate. Getting the flu didn't mean rest and fluids for me, it meant a trip to the ER. So many symptoms were piling on top of each other that it became impossible to separate what was causing what anymore. From the age of 21 to 29, not a day went by that I wasn't sick. I've had persistent, painful, and embarrassing skin issues, frequent infections, the inability to digest food, low muscle mass, minimal energy, frequent migraines, constant nausea, no immune system, and the list could go on. Feeling like shit constantly became my new normal, and that has been my normal for the last nine years. I spent all of my 20s just trying to feel any semblance of normalcy instead of living out what are supposed to be some of the best years of your life. Instead of being free to find out who I was, I got diagnosis after diagnosis and saw myself only as the diseases that consumed me. Instead of traveling the world like I had planned on, I spent my time in hospitals and doctor's offices being studied and examined like a new species. Instead of finding my passion and chasing my dreams, I was chasing my medications with Sprite. All of the money I wanted to put towards my future instead went to medical bills, surgeries, insurance, prescriptions, and everything in between, all while getting no answers whatsoever. It was obvious that I was suffering from a lot of different things physically, so we were all very focused on treating the measurable physical symptoms. But to be honest, I'm not sure if my body or my mind was more damaged. I can sit here and try to list off all of the physical pain I went through, but there's absolutely no way for me to put into words how badly my mental health was affected. Of course, there was trauma from the abuse, but I'm just talking about the turmoil of being in constant pain and not knowing why. When something is wrong, you're supposed to be able to go to the doctor and they'll tell you what's wrong and how to fix it. But every single doctor I saw looked at my chart and shrugged before passing me along to the next specialist. One doctor actually looked me in the eyes and said, yeah, I have no clue what to do with you. And then there were a couple who called me a liar and said that I had to be making all of this up because there just wasn't an explanation. I even got a referral to a mental health hospital a couple times. So the people who were supposed to be there to help me either had no clue what was going on and didn't want to try or thought I was outright lying. I remember one specific time leaving the hospital after yet another inconclusive test and thinking, so if doctors can't help me, who can? After that appointment, I spent endless hours trying to find an answer, and when I couldn't, it was the beginning of a downward spiral. I knew my family had seen my struggles, but it felt like the rest of the world didn't believe me. The best way I can describe it is like I was trapped in my own body, screaming for help, and nobody could hear me. They just saw the shell of a person I had become, without knowing what was going on behind the scenes. I was called an attention whore and dramatic because people thought I was making it all up for attention. 
I stayed home most of the time because I was afraid of getting sick in front of people, so that made me the boring loner who hated everyone. I was already shy and had low self-esteem, so that only shoved me deeper into depression and isolation. And even though I had my family's complete love and support, I felt totally alone. I didn't know anyone who was chronically ill, much less someone who had no idea what was wrong with them. The people my age were healthy and enjoying life, while I had more doctor's appointments than my grandparents. After years of constant pain and illness, I felt that no one in the world could help or even relate to me. I lost all hope for a normal future. When you're told over and over and over that you're different, an outlier, some special case, you believe it. Doctors saying, oh, this scan will tell us what's wrong, let's try this, take this pill, and nothing ever helping, only solidified in my mind that I was a lost cause and I should just stop trying to find an answer. By age 16, I had already gone through two knee surgeries and was blind in my right eye. All of this stuff just added to the thought that maybe I'm just too messed up to be fixed. I was jokingly named the medical marvel because if it wasn't one thing, it was always another. There have been many times in the last eight or nine years that I just stopped going to doctors because the letdown was such a huge blow to me mentally. And there were so many of those disappointing visits. I eventually succumbed to the fact that being sick forever was just what my life was going to be. And at the young age of 21, it was an extremely difficult thing for me to deal with. Growing up, I was such a dreamer and had big plans for my life, but the sicker I got, the more impossible those goals seemed. I witnessed my future getting ripped away from me and I didn't know why or how to stop it. So I felt that my only choice was to accept it. I said no way more than yes and turned down a lot of opportunities because I was so afraid of being too weak, getting sick, or being judged. Fear became the driving force behind nearly all of my thoughts, decisions, and actions. And in all honesty, fear is the biggest thing I still struggle with in the aftermath of all of this. I have an underlying fear that other medical issues will pop up unexpectedly, and I'll go back to square one again. It's still scary to think about how one person was able to completely hijack my mind and life. And I still limit myself physically sometimes, because at this point, I'm really not sure what my body is actually capable of, which is crazy to think about at age 30. Before I got sick, I danced, played hockey and soccer, got my black belt in Taekwondo, and even set a track record in high school. But in the midst of my poisoning, I was happy if I could go for a 10 minute walk without being out of breath. So five or six years ago, I decided that the only way to try and feel in control of my body again was to track what I ate and start going to the gym. I knew that it wouldn't make my symptoms disappear, but after feeling out of control for so many years, I was desperate for some sense of power over my circumstances. I knew my body was weaker than most and that I had no clue what I was doing in the gym, but I felt impelled to go. My mom, Lisa, who has worked as a fitness instructor, introduced me to new workouts, gym equipment, and healthy recipes. At first, I always made her come with me, but eventually I found a bit of confidence in myself and loved my me time at the gym. I hadn't felt any type of confidence in many, many years, and I will forever be grateful for that gift from my mom. After a few years of consistent lifting and healthy eating, I started to feel a little better. I was still dealing with all of the same physical issues as before, but the routine helped me feel in control. In 2017, I decided to compete in a bodybuilding show. I knew going into it that I had bigger hurdles to face than everyone else due to my illnesses, but I didn't compete to win. I wanted to compete for one reason and one reason only, to prove to myself that I could do it. The intense structure and schedule of competition prep was exactly what I needed. The weakness I once felt had morphed into strength. 
the self-doubt turned into, holy shit, you can actually do this. I went into the NPC Idaho Cup feeling like an entirely different person. Winning was just the cherry on top. That whole experience helped me see that I was capable of so much more than I thought, both physically and mentally, and I'm so glad I pushed myself to do it and never gave up. Over the next three years, I focused almost exclusively on my mental health. I had given up on doctors and just tried to make the best of my situation. Then in October of last year, I unexpectedly got the answers I had always longed for but never believed I would get. I'm going to cover more about the test that saved my life in the next episode, but through that testing, I found out why I always felt like I was dying. It's because I actually was. After being referred to Dr. Harvey by family friends, I had a hair test done that revealed that I had been poisoned with arsenic. Yes, you heard that right. Arsenic. The level was so high that it more than doubled with the scale covered. Per my doctor, this level is an exceptionally rare occurrence and usually fatal. He's run over 5,000 hair tests in the last 17 years, and he said it was the highest level of poisoning he had ever seen. I was told that most of my major organs were already in failure or shutting down. My adrenal glands were in failure. My liver, pancreas, kidneys, thyroid, and intestines were all severely affected and deep in exhaustion stage. A lesion was found on my liver. My immune, hormone, and digestive systems were all running on fumes. I was anemic, medically anorexic, and deficient in 9 out of the 11 essential minerals. Basically, I was very lucky to be alive. That news changed my life forever. As shocking as it was, I finally had an answer. I finally knew what I needed to do in order to get better. As Dr. Harvey put it, you finally know what tiger has been chasing you all these years. Now knowing everything that I do, as I look back on the last 10 years of my life, I could easily choose to be angry at the time I lost, at the doctors who failed me, and at my ex for almost killing me. But I refuse to waste any more of my life living in a dark shadow. Instead, I am choosing to focus on the fact that I am incredibly lucky to be alive. I used to spend so much time wondering why my body hated me so much. Now I can clearly see that it's an incredibly strong and resilient vessel that has made it through life-threatening situations time and time again. It never gave up. And honestly, I'm in awe of it some days. Coming to that realization was a massive step in my journey of healing. So as I mentioned earlier, next week's episode will be about the hair testing that I did and kind of how that whole process went, the cost, where you can go to get it done, and the results that I received. I'm going to cover a lot of information in that episode, so I hope you guys tune in next week. And again, I apologize for such a long delay between the first episode and this episode, but things have kind of settled down, so I will be on a regular schedule from here on out. If you or someone you know needs help, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, or the National Helpline. All three numbers can be found in this episode's description. The only way to stop the violence is to stop the silence. Thank you guys so much for listening to Becoming the Phoenix. I hope each of you has a wonderful day, and I'll see you all next time.